Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com It's a brand new year, so make a brand new you by joining the SRF Resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. ProWrestlingTees.com Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talents worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and enjoy your 20% discount for the first five days of the new year and support indie wrestling today. GetAgerGold.com the online subscription service that delivers gold discreetly to your front door. Grow your gold stash using the affiliate link getacregold.com backslash horseman to start your subscription. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at get underscore acre and tell them the Hami Media Group sent you for an opportunity to win a free gold bar. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Thursday, January 23rd, 2020, and you are tuned in to HTM Sports here, presented by the HTM Podcast Network Online, HittingTheMarks.com, and Hameen Media Online, HackerHameen.Podbean.com. This week's show brought to you by Get Acre Gold. Visit them online, GetAcreGold.com, backslash horsemen, and hit them on Twitter at Get underscore Acre for your chance to win a free gold bar. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the ring announcer. He's the real RBV, Rick. Welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that R, the beat of the V. Rick Vickery back again. Hashtag HDF Sports. Jargo, you, you know, right about now, you know what I would do with a with a gold bar? Melt it down, make a championship ring. Uh, no way, man. I would put that thing in a pillowcase and start swinging like a madman. Uh, and just start knocking SOBs out. That is the kind of day I'm having. Usually coming in to hashtag HDM Sports. Such a high. Such a good mood. That is not the case. I, I have been all over social media today. Argument after argument. And now I'm looking at this run here, man. A couple things on here I'm hot on. So this might be a very different vibe that, that the listeners are used to with us here at hashtag HDM Sports. That's what happens when I put NHL stuff on the run. It just pisses Huckleberry off. Uh, Rick, I want to start things off. We finally got the big debut. Finally, Zion Williamson makes his debut as a New Orleans Pelican. And it, it was quite the interesting night for Zion. Let's put it that way. Start off with the stat line. 22 points, 8 of 11 shooting, 4 for 4 from 3. When did he learn how to shoot a 3? Seven rebounds, three assists. He did have five turnovers. He only played 18 minutes. But 17 of those points came in a span of three minutes and eight seconds. It was the most ridiculous three minutes and eight seconds I think I've seen of an NBA game. They take Zion out with five minutes and 23 seconds remaining. At that time, the Pelicans led 107-106 over the Spurs. They would go on to lose the game 
to 117. They have Zion on a minutes restriction. And basically what they were doing, Rick, Zion would come in, he'd play for about four minutes, and then they'd sit him down. And then they'd bring him back in and he'd play for about four minutes, and then they'd sit him down. It wasn't until the fourth quarter he actually got going. Those first three quarters, I was sitting there going, oh my God, is this going to work at all? And then he just went completely berserk for three minutes and eight seconds. Uh, absolutely. And I understand you, you want to proceed with caution. This is your ultimate investment. You're hoping to grow with this franchise. All the excitement going in here from draft day on. And you kind of had that stalled with the injury. All the hopes. It kind of, you know, it really took a lot of the, the wind out of the sails there. You want to get that momentum, recapture it. But you got to have a little bit of leeway, correct? I mean, inside of this stop and go, stop and go, what kind of momentum are you getting? What, you know, what direction? You're cooling him off. You're heating up, cooling him off. He isn't finding that groove, isn't getting that vibe going. I'm with you, Jargo. Not sure if this is the, the appropriate approach here. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very perplexed by this. Um, Alvin Gentry would say after the game, I don't think anybody would be happy about it if you were playing at the level he was playing at, and then all of a sudden you had to come out of the game. I'm not the brightest coach in the world. That's an understatement. But I wasn't going to take him out in those situations Unless I was told to. Rick, when did the head coach start taking taking coaching tips from the medical staff? Like, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Who, like, do you think anybody was going to tell Phil Jackson, listen, Phil, you know, Michael's got the flu. You're going to have to take him out of this game. And especially in this, let me look at all the hype coming into this. Just just not in New Orleans with that fan base. All around, you know, through all the major sporting platforms, I mean, ESPN, they were running marathons of Zion throughout the day, through the day before, all leading up to this moment. This is one of the the big, spectacular standouts inside of the NBA season right now. People wanted this, and you're waiting to see if you're going to get that big payoff from this young kid to suppose it once in a generation superstar, and then you don't even give him a chance. You know, to me, pulling the rug out from him, it just... Just not for Zion. I think he's probably the least affected here. This is a black eye on the franchise. It doesn't look good for the league. What's the intrigue now for people to continue to tune in when you're trying to hype and say, hey, you want to be on board with this young superstar? Watch him blossom. Okay, I'm going to invest three quarters, four quarters up until, you know, the last five minutes when there's a game on the line in a tightly contested Western Conference. And then I know you're going to remove him because he's on his limits here. Now, it just to me, it makes zero sense. This is not good marketing. Uh, again, I understand they have to protect their investment. But there's got to be a better strategy to employ here to make sure that he is good going forward. And that's, you know, coming out rightly and saying, you know what, he's not going to play in these games. But, you know, when he is here, we want to see what he has. We want to push him to that level to, to really to see how he's adjusted, how he has recovered. And in his own heart, the competitiveness, he wants to be out there. Can you imagine how heartbreaking you've been sitting there? And to speak to the coach here, even, even he knows this is this is kind of asinine. And I don't know if it's just throwing the trainers under the bus or upper management, but he's just trying to clear his ass out of here. Yeah, it, it, that's very much the way those quotes read to me, was I have to protect my own ass here so that I don't get blamed for this. Uh, Zion, after the games, would say, I'm 19. Honestly, in that moment, I'm not thinking about longevity. I'm thinking about winning the game. So it was very tough. Rick, they have to 
handle this almost with kid gloves because the last thing that you want to do is get Zion in his own head thinking about his minutes, thinking about when he's going to come out of the game, when he's going to go back into the game, what he's going to do over the course of the next four minutes. He's got to go out there and just play basketball. I mean, for God's sake, the training staff is even trying to like re-educate his feet so that when he comes down off of a dunk or a rebound, that he comes down on two feet instead of one. Like they're they're retraining his very fundamentals. Like, could you imagine like Pat Riley sitting down Magic Johnson and being like, um, listen, Irvin, um, that that whole no look pass thing that you do, yeah, we, we can't do that. We we don't want you doing that. We're gonna have to completely retrain you how to pass the ball. Ready? One, two, bounce, pass. Like, no, you just let him go play the goddamn game of basketball. And, you know, you take a risk on your investment here. I mean, they're playing at this high level. It's a high-impact game. He's got that huge frame. You kind of know what you're getting into here. If, if, it is, if that is your mentality, that's the direction you want to go, then why even run him out this out there this year? Right. This could be for a retooling. Instead of, as you said, Jargo, he's out there. He is a competitor. He is hungry. He is on the hunt. Now you're going to get into this young kid's head, and he's going to be watching that clock, and he's going to start pushing himself a little too much realizing, okay, my team needs me, but I only got three minutes left in this game before they sit me down. He's going to overexert himself here. Instead of getting in that flow, distributing the ball, coming together as a team, you're putting a lot of pressure on him. I do want to give props here to Zion. I think this was a tremendous quote on his behalf. You know, I'm young, I'm hungry, I want to be here. But he didn't really deflect, you know, a lot of blame or criticism towards anyone else. He said, you know, this is maybe something I don't understand because I'm young, I'm just a basketball player. I'm hungry. I understand there's other factors at play. I thought it was a very mature and a great answer from him. You you talk about, you know, I've got three minutes left. You know, I have to do this. I'm wondering how long until he's like, okay, I got three more years in New Orleans and then I can get the hell out of here. You know, like this is a very, very fine line that they have to toe with Zion here. Like you might be able to get away with this for a little while, but Zion wants to go out there and Zion wants to play the way that Zion plays. And otherwise, I like I don't think you want to get in this kid's head too much. Well, and again, you know, you pull him out here early, you lose a game that you're leading in down the stretch. I mean, so what's the answer here? Okay, now we we start him or we bring him at the sixth man, but we don't play him till later where the game's out of control. So as these fans are sitting here watching, we'll just use the Spurs because that's who was at hand. Let's say the next time they're playing and the Spurs get up by 10, then 12, then 15, and the audience, just the viewers themselves, just fans of the game are sitting there saying, okay, why is he sitting there? I mean, this is a main attraction. We saw that last night. There's about three minutes left. Drew Holiday's going to the line, and the New Orleans crowd starts in on a We Want Zion chant. Like, it's not only Zion that you got to keep happy here. It's not only the medical staff. It's not only the owner. That fan base is hungry. They want to cheer for something. They finally get Zion halfway through the season, and then he's not even on the floor at the end of the game. They were down 15, and then Zion went on a crazy run all by himself to bring him back, and they actually take the lead with five minutes left. And that's what I'm that's what I'm lending towards here is this works this one time, but the more you pull this, the more you're going to drive people away. And it's just not inside of, of Zion and the Pelicans fan base. You're talking about a larger picture here and your overall viewership. You want Absolutely. people to tune in to TNT, ESPN, whatever it might be, 
and you pull this thing two or three times, by the fourth time, they're writing off this, these games. They're not tuning in for the Pelicans because they know they're going to get shorted. Yep. And your ratings are already down 20% because all the good teams are on the West Coast, so the entire eastern half of the country just isn't watching the games because they don't start help locally. They don't start until 9.30 here, 10.30 on the East Coast. Like, who's going to stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning hoping that you get to see Zion play for three minutes? Absolutely. And one of the keys there, I love how you bring up these time factors, the true powerhouses, you know, what people are really tuning into, if it be traditionally now with the Warriors who, you know, still have that appeal because people are just waiting. It's that love or hate. You love seeing them get, you know, beat up on, or are they going to return to the glory? But obviously everything in LA with the Lakers and the Clippers. But when you take a team like New Orleans and you have more of that centralized time base, you can get away with those earlier, with, you know, that late early game, if you will, because on the East, you know, we're out by midnight on those. Yeah. As long as you structure the TV properly around it. Yep. It's very, very perplexing. Also perplexing, Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram. The two of those guys combined for 36 points last night, Rick, but they were 10 of 33 shooting. Now, yeah, those are almost James Harden numbers between the two of them, but we'll talk about him in a second. More alarming, their plus minus was negative 15. I don't think this Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, like on paper, this team looks like it should be really, really good. I'm just not seeing the application. And I don't know if that's on Coach Gentry or if it's a much broader problem that we're seeing like in Houston where James Harden just doesn't want to pass the ball and Drew Holiday's got to get his numbers. Yeah, it, it, you really got to wonder what's going on down there in, in New Orleans. What's in the water, if you will. It just seems, as you said, on paper going in, even when they lost Zion, it was like, okay, this team should be able to hold things together until he comes back. They should be able to you know, be there in the running for one of those those last playoff seeds. But, man, it, what did they come out of the gate? They were like 2-13, and 13, right? Yeah, they were awful. Absolutely terrible. And they haven't made much improvement. There's something not gelling there. And I think everything, you really now we can put it under the scope of what we've seen, how the management of Zion, this might be a much bigger issue than we know, besides the players not gelling, besides coaching, maybe the misconnection between management and your other staff, they need to get on the same page here, move in the right direction before, as just talking about Jargo, you only got a short window for this thing before it actually blows up in their face. Yeah, I mean, they're still only 17 and 28 um, let's see, they're four games out of the eighth spot in the playoffs right now. Oh yeah, that spot held currently by the team that beat them last night, the San Antonio Spurs. Can they make go. it to I, that eighth seed? It, it will be interesting, and it is, you know, one of the, the nice things that, you know, I don't know if it's nice, but it it allows for a, a, a bit of excitement, I guess, on the lower end for some of these franchises, especially out west, that, you know, with more than half making the thing that you can have a little excitement, you can sell to your fan base, especially with a young team like this to make that run, make that push towards getting that, you know, one of those back end seeds in the playoffs. That's something that you can hang your hat on. But from all indications right now, they have got a lot of growing to do all around as a franchise if they want to have any hope for this thing, because 
we get into February, we get beyond this all-star break, we get a whole new season, a whole new level of play. This is where they strap down. Everybody's getting serious. You know, the Pelicans going to be able to be on board with that. Yeah, about 46 games into the season now, so we've crossed over the halfway point. It's going to be interesting to see how this entire bottom half of the West especially kind of plays out. And that third quarter is always so interesting in the NBA because teams just go to that different level. They start playing playoff basketball. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's start with uh, the sixth seed. The Houston Rockets. Houston, we have a problem. I don't know what is going on down there, Rick, but this team is just basically imploding on itself. They're 27-16. and 16. That's good for sixth place in the West, seven and a half games behind the Lakers, five and five in their last ten. They finally got a win last night to break their losing streak at four. James Harden is averaging 36.6 points a game, 7.4 assists, six rebounds, and he's also averaging 13 three-pointers attempted a game. He's only making an average of four of them, roughly 36%. Rick, the other night, he went one for 17 from three-point range. Broke his own record for the worst three-point night in the history of the NBA. And then you have Russell Westbrook. 25 points a game, 7.3 assists, 8 rebounds. So between these two guys, they're averaging almost 60 points a game, 14 assists, and 14 rebounds. How is this team so bad? Because this, and you know what? Yes, Houston, we have a problem. And I am absolutely loving it. Since we've started hashtag HTM Sports, whenever we've been talking sports, I've always put it out there. I absolutely despise James Harden. I think he represents everything that is wrong with the NBA and his style. There's so much good out there, so much I enjoy. But right here, James Harden, he is the dot, dot, dive of professional basketball. Of basketball itself, he brings all this negativity towards the game. Hey, one of the pops I had of the week, they were running down his stats over these last 10 games. You said one for 17, two for 13, two for 15, three for whatever. You look at his his stat line, somebody put it out there, absolutely popped for this thing. It reads more like tour dates than a basketball box score. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Rick, the team is averaging 118.4 points a game. When you are a team in the NBA and you're averaging 118.4 points a game, wouldn't you think that you would be better than 27 and 16? Like, I really want to bury James Harden. I really want to bury Russell Westbrook because I can't stand that kid. He's, He's my version of the dot, 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 dive. I just cannot stand that guy. But the problem here is Mike D'Antoni and the Olay defense. That's what's really going on in Houston. Not that Westbrook or Harden, either one, are going to play defense regardless of who the coach is. But Mike D'Antoni and that Olay defense, we've seen it for years. D'Antoni's always been a great offensive coach. He was in Phoenix. He was in Los Angeles. He just does not believe in playing defense. Again, this is the same situation that we were just talking about down there in New Orleans. This is about a culture issue within the, within that franchise. You know, they they thought they had so much success for all these years. Did they really? Because they when we're talking about that next level of basketball, we're talking about playoff style. Look who could never get it done there. And now we're starting to see that trickle down. They're starting to get exposed in the middle, in the early parts of the regular season. We're talking about being able to turn it up that to that next level. Someone's going to be competitive. 
heading into the postseason, making a run towards the championship. This team is nowhere close to that right now. An absolute embarrassment. I would say the Pelicans have a better chance of getting in. Or let's say I have a, you know, I'm going to reverse that here. I'm a little twisted in my words here. Get all heated up. The Rockets have a better chance of falling out than the Pelicans have of getting in. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I also think that Mike D'Antoni and general manager Daryl Morey, who the league is pissed off at to begin with because of that whole China situation, I think both of those guys are gone before the season is over. Could absolutely see that. Man, I just I hate watching Houston. I hate I hate Russell Westbrook and I hate James Harden and I hate their entire brand of basketball. Just do not like that team whatsoever let alone Mr. Pringles. Their, their basketball team is ruining the NBA. Their baseball team stole the World Series. We're probably going to just be, in general, just pissed at Houston anyway come Monday when we have to review the rumble inside the Monday locker room. Oh, the Hami God. <laughs> yeah, you, you bring that up. It's going to be a crazy weekend looking at everything that's going on this weekend. We'll talk about that more here in a second. Uh, let's, let's go to the world of college basketball. Because talk about Royal Rumbles too. Yeah, uh, we we had the fight of the year last year between the Browns and the Steelers, and we have an early contender this year, Kansas and Kansas State. This entire thing started when uh, uh, Silvio De Souza blocked Dwan's Gordon shot in the final seconds of an 81-60 Jayhawks victory, and then he just stands over him. Now, this is a rivalry game. It's Kansas and it's Kansas State. But what would ensue over the course of the next couple minutes is something that I have not seen in the world of basketball since the malice in the palace. Kansas forward Silvio D'Souza, he's suspended for 12 games. David McCormick, he's out for two games. K-State, not to be left out. James Love going to be out for eight games. And Antonio Gordon out for three games. Rick, at one point, this D'Souza kid had a freaking... Um, a stool in his hand over his head. Like he was going to start taking people out. Like he was the rock versus Mick Foley. Like what in the world is going on down in Kansas? No holds barred chair shots. We're on the way here. I love to lay it out there. We're, we're talking about, it. I wanted to ask you when we were, as we're going through this, where does this rank for you? And what is the, the, let's, I don't want to say greatest. I don't want to frame it in that light. What's the most over-the-top melee that, that you've ever seen in sports? Because I, I, as you mentioned there, man, the malice in the palace. I, that one's got to take it, right? Ron Artest going into the fans in freaking Detroit and starting throwing the haymakers at people. Like, in our generation, that's got to be number one. Absolutely. And, and I know this, this is going to come off in, a, a, I guess, maybe a twisted way. I couldn't get enough of that. I could not get enough of that replay. I think I sat up for two days straight because Sports Center. That's all they ran nonstop. I loved it every. I loved every moment of it. Uh, the other one that stands out to me was: uh, Do you remember when Robin Ventura charged the mound and Nolan Ryan was standing on the pitcher's mound and he grabbed him in a headlock and just lit Robin Ventura up back in the Ooh, day? Yeah. Uh, but that was more like a one-on-one. That was just old old man Nolan just whooping his <laughs> ass. Uh, it was hilarious. Bench is clear. And, oh, who was it? Uh, Pedro, when he threw your boy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, who was there's some good brawls back who, then. Who was the coach, the old man coach for your Yankees? And he just like old lady. Um, that was Showalter at the time, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was the old bald guy. It was a bench coach. Oh, was it Zimmer? Yes, it was Zimmer. And, and Pedro just threw his ass to the ground. Red Sox, Yankees throwing down. Uh, how about last summer? Reds, Pirates. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, there's some good ones here. And I guess hockey doesn't count because it's built into the game. Well, it used to be anyway. They, they've eliminated as much of that as they possibly could. Um, Rick, so Silvio DeSosa, that, he's the kid that's really taking the brunt of this thing. He's the kid that had the stool and, and all that. Suspended for 12 games. 12 games. Let me, let me see here. By my estimation, that would put him back... Oh, just in time for the tournament. What a crazy random happenstance. There we go. Yeah, it's just funny, you know, it doesn't sound good, right? Let's look at the calendar here. Let's let's measure up where we're at. What's going to be very interesting. So is that getting to the big tournament or the conference tournament? No, I, I think 12 games. I think that would have to be the NCAA tournament. Okay, because as you sit there and you kind of do that math and you're looking at this calendar and a very real possibility these teams will be hooking up again inside of that conference term. I don't know if they, they still might have another game scheduled on the regular season. Obviously, you want to try to avoid that. They're going to bring in uh, extra you know, security officials around the court there. They are going to have them under strict watch. They're going to be pulling the harness back very tight on them, but you don't want another big platform like inside your conference tournament with these two teams that hopefully try to brush this under the rug. One just occurred to me here. We're talking about these two teams having to hook back up with each other. Uh, going back, this is some years ago, but here in Cincinnati, one of the grandest rivalries you know that, that we enjoy here in the city, and actually in, in college basketball, there's, there's no two schools that sit closer campus to campus than – Xavier and Cincinnati. How close are they? Oh, they're within just a couple miles. I mean, you could, the way that the campus lines are, it, this is no joke. You can throw a rock from one and hit the other. Like Duke and UNC. Uh, even closer than that. I mean, those are, I mean, that's a couple miles. This, this is within maybe like a mile and a half. Wow. I mean, they're right on top of each other. So, you know, the college part of, of Cincinnati, not a very big area. These two campuses sit very close to each other. And it's, it's been a, you know, a great rivalry. You know, one of the big, most memorable moments is Cincinnati comes into a game ranked number one in the country, undefeated at the time, and they lose to Xavier. You know, the, the in-town rivalry, the place is going ballistic. And I still remember the call on the radio. UC goes down, number Number one, number one in the nation, number two in the city. You know that still rings out through Xavier. It's one of the the biggest wins inside of the program's history. And they've been, they've had tremendous success themselves on the national level. But it was a few years ago. I mean, there was an absolute ball on the court, and it spilled not the players into the audience, but the fans began to turn on one another. So they went through this entire rebranding process involving the crosstown shootout. Uh, I mean, it went to the point where they moved the game off of the campuses. No one was allowed to host it. We had to go to a neutral site. We were bringing in extra Cincinnati Police Department security. They they thought that the word shootout oh was God. pressing, was pushing, was pushing their luck and maybe 
triggering, no pun intended, something with inside this rageous anger. So to try to make it a more friendly rivalry, they, they tried to change the name to the showdown. That lasted for all about three years. They realized it was not working whatsoever. Nobody was buying into it. So they just went back to the way it was. But I mean, that's going to be something they're going to have to, to examine and look at here between these two programs. You said this is a very historic and heated rivalry between these two schools. Yeah, and it's so off-brand for Kansas. Like, K-State, it, obviously it's off-brand for anybody, but like K-State, I was not necessarily surprised to see them affiliated with this. Kansas, on the other hand, I mean, tradi- like the a traditional blue blood inside of college basketball. So, of course, this thing gets overinflated over all the media sources, but very odd for Kansas. Like that, that entire program just seems like it's kind of been on this downhill slope ever since Roy Williams left for Carolina. As you said, Jargon, when you talk about the, the upper echelon, those that, you know, show true respect to the game, Kansas is for so long decades has been amongst those teams. And to see something here is so out of character for them. And I wouldn't say that you expect it from Kansas state, but if this would have been any other situation in passing, you would have been like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then you insert Kansas into this, and then it becomes a very serious situation. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it'd be the same thing if it was Kentucky or if it was Duke or if it was Carolina, if it was UCLA. You know, we, we just have those blue bloods, pe- teams that people care about. Huckleberry, let's talk about uh, some of the things going on this weekend. And I want to start with the NHL All-Star Game. Yeah, because their All-Star game, we're at the midpoint of the NHL season, a little over now, and we're getting ready for the quote-unquote greatest show on ice. And Rick, I hate this. I absolutely hate the way the NHL runs their All-Star game. The skill competition is going to be Friday night at 8 p.m. on NBC Sportsnet. That's right, you can't even get the big boy network for this one. And then we're going to have the All-Star games because they play more than one. Saturday, starting at 8 p.m. on NBC. Of course, I'm sure we'll be watching Worlds Collide and all kinds of other stuff that's going to be going on. Rick, they do like a little mini tournament inside of the NHL. They have four all-star teams. There's the Atlantic Division, the Metro Division, the Pacific, and the Central. The Atlantic plays the Metro, Pacific plays the Central, and then the two winning teams face off. This is a three-on-three tournament. And they play 20-minute games. So the first series of teams will play for 20 minutes. Then the second series of teams will play for 20 minutes. And then the two winners face off for 20 minutes. 2016-2018, the Pacific won it. In 2017 and 2019, the Metro has won it. The Central has yet to claim a, a, a round of this thing or the Atlantic, even though last year the Central actually scored 10 goals in a 20 minute game because nobody plays defense. Nobody cares. I mean, this is the NBA all-star game, except it happens on ice. Rick, I am not a fan of all-star games in any way, shape or form. I hate this. I hate the pro bowl. I've never been a big fan of the baseball all-star game and the NBA all-star game is a complete freaking joke. Can we just be done with this whole all-star thing already? Well, I don't think it's a. I don't think there is a situation where we eliminate it, but the, it certainly needs tweaks across the board. And there, you got to remember, there was a time where competition in these All Star games actually meant something. But as you know, society's kind of evolved, and sports has become so much more bigger, big business. 
that it's completely grown beyond the, the sense of competition. This is more of a spectacle in itself. Let's get together for a celebration. There's so much outside of the games, what we're being presented on television that makes this such a special weekend. You know, for people to go to get there and interact with some of these players and you, you do the, the live event things, you know, similar to like at WrestleMania or WWE at these big events when they do their access programs, that's what you're getting at these things. And you're getting nice trips that, you know, if you can get, you know, if you're able to go to these things. And in some, some circumstances, it's, it's, it's good for the players themselves. It gives them a chance to get together and connect with those audiences. I don't think we should completely eliminate them. There is certainly an, the tweaking that needs to be done. I think this is a case, though, with the NHL All-Star Weekend that they've just went overboard trying to create a little more interest inside the games. I think it's a matter of you just realize the game is what it is. It's not all centered around this actual game. It's this It's this bigger picture, this larger-than-life event that you're trying to present is like a fan festival. So if you enjoy hockey games that end up like with a score of, you know, 9-7 to seven in 20 minutes in one period, 9-7, to seven, Maybe, maybe you should watch NBC this weekend. I will not be because there's a lot of other stuff to watch this weekend. I, I won't be I won't be invested in these games on Saturday. But, you know, one thing that I that I do enjoy as well as with baseball, with even in the NFL, in the NBA, I like the skills competitions. I think those are pretty entertaining. Yeah, I do enjoy the skills competitions. I, I and, and I wish I wish those were more of the centerpiece. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like they do with the uh, the three point contest and the slam dunk contest. Right. And you look at all the excitement, you know, around like the NBA, like the uh, Major League Baseball All Star. It's about the home run derby. Yeah, and they've and they've even kind of got that where they've over gimmicked it out a little bit. You know, just go out there, it, whoever hits the most in a round, a couple of people advance. It, simplify it. Just people are there to have a good time. And then you can, and the, for those that have made the trek there, and now through social media, get more interactive with that, where people can interact with the players. That's what this really should be about. Instead of, you know, maybe the focus of all-stars where we're supposed to be focused on the players, I mean, well, maybe we should, we should just do, you know, call these things fan festivals. This is a time to give everybody a break. Thank you for being with us through the first half of the season. We want to say thank you in advance for sticking to, you know, sticking through the back end of this as we make a chase towards our great championship in our sport. But we want to say thank you. We want to reach out and give this to you. So if there is an all-star game, you know, on that Sunday night with the NBA, take it, take it for what it is. You get to see some people out there interacting in some different scenarios that you might not regularly see. It is a little more free and easy. The comp- you know, the competitiveness isn't there, but you present it as that way. Don't, it, I think that's a lot of it is they're trying to pass these things off for what they're absolutely not. And people see through that. People aren't buying this BS. Did you see uh, Dwight Howard's going to be in the dunk contest this year? I think that's something that's going to be tremendous for the dunk contest. You know what will be more tremendous for the dunk contest? He's trying to convince Kobe Bryant to do it. If Kobe Bryant comes back just to do a slam dunk contest, even if he gets knocked out in the first round... That will be the most th- entertaining thing that happens NBA All-Star Weekend, without any question. And yet you continually tell me that you hate when Undertaker comes back. <laughs> Valid. Valid. Well, hey, man, I'm not saying Kobe's going to be good, but it's, <laughs> All it's right. certainly All must-see right. TV. No, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. When Kobe comes back for a dunk contest for the seventh time, you could start bitching. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It, it, especially when they hold the thing in Saudi Arabia. 
Oh, God. The dunk contest in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> They'd be doing it with, like, severed heads and shit. I can just imagine it now. Uh, let's talk <laughs> Let's talk about the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame. God, I'm a terrible person. Uh, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker elected to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame over the course of this week. Derek Jeter, 3,465 hits, 260 homers, 1,311 RBIs, a 310 batting average, and a 377 on base percentage. 1995 Rookie of the Year, he was a 14-time All-Star, five gold gloves, five World Series, and the World Series MVP in 2000. Rick, by my own admission, Derek Jeter is one of my favorite baseball players of all freaking time. It was no question he was going to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame on the first ballot. But the real conversation is, one person didn't vote for Derek Jeter? Like what, we had like one dickhead sports writer from Boston that was like, Nah, fuck Jeter! No, no, no. You know what this is? I'm surprised that people were kind of in an uproar about this. I wasn't shocked at all to see this because we get this from these baseball writers. It's probably some old prick. It, it can barely, you know, even read the ballot. Works at the Boston even, Globe. It, it, his hand's shaking so bad. He don't even know what the hell he's checking off here for who he's giving his casting his vote towards. You, you have that in baseball. Probably just did it. Oh, I know everyone else is. He shouldn't be uh, a clean shot first ballot Hall of Famer. That's that we don't do baseball like that. We're traditionalists. That's why our games go eight hours and are boring as fuck, and no one likes them. That's that's the mindset you have from some of these individuals. Hey, you put over Jeter there perfectly. All the numbers, the accolades. As a Yankee fan, one of your favorite all-time players. I'm not a Yankee fan. Derek Jeter is one of my favorite all-time baseball players. I mean, this guy represents everything that was great in this game. Jargon, we talked about last week how more impactful these Hall of Fames are becoming because we're starting to see individuals, not that we just knew as kids, but that were there that were meaningful when we were really getting involved in sports, that really meant something to us, that hammered home you know, the true values, the traditions, what sports should represent. And when you kind of you list anything that you want in a professional athlete, an amateur athlete, anyone, you, you pretty much go to any profession, even side of baseball, athletics, whatever it might be, you look for those characteristics and somebody professionally, Derek Jeter hits every mark. And this guy has stood for excellence. You never hear any trouble around him. He is a, a beacon for Major League Baseball, a perfect personality and a representative. This guy has it all. He screams all up, man. Thank you, Derek Jeter, for everything that you did for baseball. I mean, it, even amongst the evil empire, you were full of shit. You're going to sit there and tell me you hated Derek Jeter. There's only been one player in Major League Baseball history who has been a unanimous vote, and that, of course, was Derek Jeter's teammate, Mariano Rivera, the only guy to ever get in on a unanimous vote. And, Rick, I don't have a problem with that because Mo is the GOAT. Like When you look at Major League Baseball history, Mariano Rivera is the best closer that has ever lived. Derek Jeter isn't even the best Yankee shortstop that's ever lived, but his impact on the New York market and being the captain of the Yankees, everything surrounding baseball, let alone what he actually did on the field, he was a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. No questions asked. How do you feel about this whole unanimous thing, though? Because it it, it is. It's just it's stupid, petty baseball writer bullshit. 
as you said, only one ever has gotten the ultimate nod, a clean run through this thing. And you got to believe that this gentleman who, who voted against Jeter, he probably, when he did Rivera, he was like, yeah, I, I know he should be there. I'm just going to go ahead and vote. Yeah. Somebody else will give the no vote just so it's not unanimous. And then when it all, when it came back that everybody voted, yes. It, oh, son of a bitch. They got me. It bit me in the ass. It's never going to happen again. Yep. I'm voting no to everybody. Yep. Just to make sure that we don't see this ever again. We I mean, think about all the great names. You know, the person they're regularly thrown out there, Babe Ruth, the greatest of all time. Not unanimous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, throw, you take anybody, man. Willie May, a- anybody. Yeah. Jackie Robinson, a guy whose number is retired by every major league baseball team. Not unanimous. It, it goes back to that old mindset, as I said. You know, those traditionalists, they don't want to change certain things. And to get into that fraternity for baseball, they, they, they want to make you literally climb over mountains instead of simplifying and embracing things. I mean, that's the reason why their game is struggling, why you don't see youths wanting to get involved because they don't evolve their game. I'm sorry. Baseball is boring as hell. It's a game I love. One of the first loves growing up. Love going to the ballpark. I love going to the ballpark to the, about the sixth inning. Then I realize I got another four hours of sitting there and they're cutting off beer in an hour and a half. Hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of a, a, a guy who enjoyed a, a brew every once in a while, let's talk about Larry Walker. Of course, his time out there in Colorado, 2,160 hits, 383 homers, exactly the same amount of RBIs as Derek Jeter, which I just find absolutely insane. 1,311 Average 313 for his career, 400 off it on base percentage, seven gold gloves, five time all star, three batting titles. And Ricky didn't think he was going to get in. He thought that he was going to peak right around that 70% mark. You got to have at least 75% to get in. He was floored when he got the call. And I think that a big part of the reason he got in was simply because this was his last year on the ballot. Um, and, and the baseball writers, they seem to be a bit more generous when you're coming up on that year seven, year eight. Any fine, fond memories of Larry Walker? Yeah, he was always, he was just a, a constant professional. Someone that always seemed to show up in big moments, but never, you know, even, you know, for him, even to say he wasn't, that he was surprised. You look at these stats, it's like, really? But, you know, it comes about perception as well. Yeah. And maybe never that, that great standout all-star but the consistency and someone that would always come up big in big moments like that is certainly one of the names that, that we would have remembered forever. But in, you know, I guess in the bigger picture of history, how much would his name stand out? So thankfully now he's going to have that honor. And as you said, this is the last year and these voters, they tend to warm up a little bit. It goes back to that mindset that they're going to, they're going to punish you, punish you, punish you. It's, it's like this ultimate form of hazing, I guess. Well, let's talk about three guys that were punished. The first three out, because, of course, you got to have 75% of the votes. Kurt Schilling makes it to 70%. Roger Clemens, 61%. Barry Bonds, 60.7%. Rick, is there any doubt in your mind all of these guys are Hall of Famers? Absolutely. Uh, but again, you know, it's that baggage. It's about that perception. It's just... Now, my... It infuriates how, me. Just infuriates how, me. How many more years do these individuals, do these three, do you, do you happen to know offhand? I when think, I think Clemens and Bonds, this was it. 
So this is it for them. I think I, until, no, until, I, I until it goes they had one more. Well, w- once you go past the eight years, then it goes to a different committee. It's not the yeah. sports writers that are voting on it. So we'll see if the former players and whatnot are are any more lenient than what the sports writers have been. I don't understand how you can keep Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds out of the Professional Baseball Hall of Fame. I just it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm with you 100%. You know, oh, they tainted the game. And so, you know, that's BS. It's absolutely a scapegoat here. The positives that they brought, and even away from you know, the scandals and all that, the performances, the personas, and the overall just importance, impact that they had on this game outweighs any of that right now. And we need to stop being so petty about this. Move on. Give them the honor here. I mean, you're not some. But social justice warrior, because in writing some tremendous wrong that happened in the history of Major League Baseball by denying these individuals an opportunity to go into the hall. Now, ultimately, it's not even an attack on them. It's on the fans. Yeah. So pull your head out of your ass. Stop being so petty. Do what's right. Put these individuals into the hall. Even if you take Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, let's take those two guys, right? If we do, if we take away every statistic that Roger Clemens added to his resume while he was in New York, and we just go off of his time in Boston, he's still a Hall of Famer. If we do away with everything that Barry Bonds did in San Francisco, we take away all of those home runs, and we just look at what he did in Pittsburgh, he's still a Hall of Famer. I mean, Hall of Fame guys, you watch him play for about 30 seconds, and you know. That guy's a Hall of Famer. No question. He could he could even be having a bad game. You could be Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship. You still know Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. And there's no question in my mind, all three of these guys belong in the Hall of Fame. Well said. Uh, let's talk about uh, some football stuff. NCAA Senior Bowl. This Saturday, 2.30 p.m., another one of those worthless all-star games that I don't give a shit about. And Huckleberry, it also seems that Mike McCarthy, the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he doesn't give a shit about it either. Um, Has the Senior Bowl just, like, expired itself? Because now we have so much going on around Senior Days. We have the NFL Combine. We get to see all of these games. It's not like, you know, nobody in the country has seen Jalen Hurts play football before at this point. Is the Senior Bowl even still worth it? I think, you know, this goes back to what I was talking about with these these all-star games. This is more about the festivities, the environment, getting individuals together than it is the presentation, the television production at home and that excitement there. You know, at one point, yes, because this was kind of a coming together. You know, what would it be like if all these individuals could get together on the field? What's the potential of happening? Let's get them together for one last hurrah. But as you said, Jargo, there's so much emphasis now. I mean, we've got, the entire combine, every moment, every little second of that thing is on our television. Mm-hmm. We're in and out of their lives now. So this game has certainly lost you know, lost its grand gesture, its grand appeal. But somewhere in there, this, you know, this is for the players. This is for you know, their parents, the people that have supported them. They're going in here. They're having a tremendous weekend. You know, they're, they're getting gifts off of this thing. They're out there, they're, they're rubbing elbows, they're, they're talking business deals. There's a lot more at play than what we're just seeing on the field. It used to be that every NFL team was allowed to have X number of personnel on the sidelines for both teams. 
and they have completely eliminated that from the the entire senior bowl. Um, you also can't have agents there. I, I mean, it's it's just become this um, cesspool of NCAA infractions waiting to happen. And so in putting all these limitations on the senior bowl and dumbing it down as much as they possibly can, number one, the upper echelon of players, they ain't going to be there. If you, if you already know that you're going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft, you ain't going. Um, a bunch of the NFL teams, Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys, on record over the course of the last couple days, yeah, we're not going. We're not sending scouts. Like it's completely irrelevant. Nobody cares anymore. Like I just I don't see the benefit that the Senior Bowl is offering to the modern day context of football. Again, you got to go. You got to peel back some of the layers here. You know, there might be one or two. Yeah, and I was even thinking about this. You know, when's the last thing that we've really seen the true stars? of someone that's going to go in the first round, even show up at this thing. There's nothing for them to gain. Now we might see one or two play them as play their way into the draft or rise their stock by standing out here. But for many of these individuals, this is their last hurrah. It's the last time they're going to experience this greatness. So you take them out there for a week, they're wine, they're dying. Everything is great because you know, here in a couple months, I mean, they're going to be sit with a harsh reality. You know, they're back to the real world. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the pro bowl. You know, the Pro Bowl, it, it used to be else, cool. you know, it, it's, well, it, it's cheap TV. There's not really a whole lot going on. And you got people still excited because you're building up here for for the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, why not? Then we have the Pro Bowl going down Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Rick, we talk about, you know, how the, the upper echelon of players don't show up for the college football. They surely don't show up for the Pro Bowl. I mean, if, if you're one of the first three, four guys elected to a Pro Bowl team, you can just bet, like, yeah, not worth my time. I'm not going. Uh, the Pro Bowl has just become a complete joke. It used to be when they would play this thing in Hawaii, people were dying to go to the Pro Bowl. There were players that would, like, fight over going to the Pro Bowl just because they wanted to take a week-long vacation with their families and go to Hawaii. Now they don't even go to Hawaii anymore, so ain't nobody going to the freaking Pro Bowl. This thing is just—it has completely lost its luster over the course of the last five to ten years. Well, that's not entirely true because they rotate it. One year they'll go the week before the Super Bowl, the next year they'll go back to Hawaii because they wanted to keep that balance. The reason they made this move is because, as you said, at one point yesterday, I mean, it was great. You know, before we saw these max contracts like we are. You go back to the 80s, I mean, they're making good money, but I mean, it's not over the top. So you make that sacrifice. And it's just not the player that sacrifices through the season. It's the family, you know, away from each other, the, the long hours, the commitment. It takes its toll on everybody. So back then, yeah, if you were someone that was fortunate enough that had earned the respect and was selected to go to the Pro Bowl, you look forward to that. You're getting the whole family, take, you know, if a quarterback would go, they'd usually, you know, chip in, take the offensive line, whatever, you know, some of the players. You had a celebration. But then over time, repeatedly going to Hawaii, the players got sick of it themselves. You know, by the time you get selected to your fourth Pro Bowl, it becomes more of a chore getting, you know, who am I going to take? I got to arrange all these like Bob, everything that's going on with it. They got tired of going to Hawaii. That was the, that was the main reason that that triggered this restructuring where they would start playing the thing the week before the Super Bowl. That also tied in with just, I mean, the, the hideous ratings for this thing. I mean, after the Super Bowl, people were just done with the NFL. Yeah, so this year, this year the XFL is going to launch a week after the Super Bowl. See how well that works out for them. <laughs> yeah. 
it, we're going to see how that works out. If people are still hungry for that, especially with now a league, as soon as you tune in, there's going to be so many rules that are confusing to the fan base. But I'm sure we're going to we'll jump on that next week. But it, this in itself, the spectacle here for this week, and again, you know, why not just this Saturday give me a great skills challenge? That 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 would be enough. Saturday afternoon, just sitting around wherever you gather, head up to the local watering hall, hold, invite your friends over. That's what you could get invested in. No one wants to go out there and watch essentially a tag football game. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. That one is going to take some getting used to, man. Uh, I mean, I'm going to want to call them the Los Angeles Raiders, and then I'm going to correct myself to the Oakland Raiders, and then it's going to become the, the the Vegas Raiders. This thing's just going to be a mess. Um, Rick, they, they had their big introductory press conference. They're now officially the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, they, they had a few players there, uh, one of which was Derek Carr. Um, Derek Carr made some comments to the media over the course of this week, um, uh, especially after seeing the picture surface of Tom Brady and Michael Davis uh, from the Conor McGregor and Cowboy Cerrone fight, which happened uh, UFC 246 a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Davis did not help things. Like he, he obviously is a chip right off of Al's old block. Uh, when asked about it, Mike Davis says, oh, that was about Tom. He's going to fight Manny Pacquiao here to open up the new stadium. Definitely not the response that you want to make in the media because now the media is running completely wild and everybody is convinced that Tom Brady is going to be a Las Vegas Raider. Um, well, everybody that is, except for Derek Carr, the current quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders, who seems like he's completely over this shit. Uh, Derek Carr's comments, I mean... There was a lot of quarterbacks at that fight. There were a lot of football players at that fight that are free agents. And it's like every time with my job, it's always a story, no matter what. And knowing some people that were around, I don't even know what the conversations between Davis and Brady were. And it's like, come on, man, when's this going to end? Especially when people are seen with certain people. It's like, oh my gosh, well, I was at dinner with Davis last night. Does that count for anything? Golly, it's just funny, but I'm used to it now, but I'll say it this way. I look forward to taking the first snap in the stadium, and I look forward to taking every snap from here on out until I'm done. Rick, that sounds like the starting quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals next year. No, I don't think we open on the road in Vegas. <laughs> I mean, do you put anything into this? Like, do you think that it is a real possibility that the Las Vegas Raiders call up the Bengals and they're like, hey, we will give you Derek Carr and the 12 and 19 pick. We're going to take the number one pick. And with the number one pick, they take Chase Young from the Ohio State University, put him on that defense and bring in Tom freaking Brady, the king of the bubble screen, alongside of John freaking Gruden? I could see that working. Do you think, would Brady look good in that bad boy uniform? No, he would look ridiculous in it. But did you see him at that fight? He's wearing like a leather jacket, and he's got on the dark sunglasses, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, damn, he kind of looks like an Oakland Raider. 
Oh my God, who's that trolley standing next to you? Oh shit, that's Mike Davis, the owner of the Raiders. Well, see, I thought that was seen at more as like the transition from corporate H to triple H. <laughs> you know, where he, where he puts the, he puts the pleather jacket on, and now we're supposed to just think that he's a bad boy. He's that ass kicker. He's going to go out there and destroy everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to take this as a grain of salt, but you are right. Hey, if you're the Raiders, this is Raiders 101, right? Oh, you want to be talking about that. Going back to last year in the offseason, the Raiders realizing there's not that much hype around them. They're kind of in this limbo waiting for this big move. They're even trying to stir up. We don't know where we're moving. We might go to London. We might we might have to go to L.A. We might just stay here. San Vegas might be. Yeah, I mean, there was so much up there. They're trying to create this buzz. And then people weren't really buying into that. So then they go out with Antonio Brown. You know, and we got this huge circus all circulating, you know, around that. And again, and people were talking about the Raiders. We're not expecting much of them out of the season, but the Raiders are always going to stay in the forefront. They always want that spotlight. They want people talking about them. They know exactly what they're doing right here. And you got to look on the other side, too, for the Brady camp. Hey, you want to stir, create as much controversy, right? And commotion as you possibly can in this offseason. What do you think? Would you take Derek Carr? And 12 and 19. I think you've asked me this like five times. Uh, I'm going to need more on the back end than just those, than those three. Uh, I'm going to need, you I'm going to need more than two first round picks and Derek fucking Carr. Yeah. Wow. For, for the number one, because right now I think, you know, you're out there, you're out there selling this thing, shopping it around. I think you, you know, maybe you're not going to end up with two first rounds, but you can end up with a, a lot in that top three. You could back in this where you're looking at more first rounds over the course of the next three years. I, I'm entertaining it. I'm not rejecting this thing right away. But, you know, if I'm looking at the shark tank, that's not my first, that's not the first option I'm accepting. I'm going to see what the other sharks got out there. Well, let's take a look at the games from over this past week. We saw the Chiefs top the Titans 35 to 24. Huckleberry, Derrick Henry did not continue this just absolute tear that he has been on. I mean, he, I think he finished up with like 86 yards. Um, but looking at the Titans in 2020 is very, very interesting because Derrick Henry is going to be a free agent. Ryan Tannehill is going to be a free agent. Oh, yeah. And then they also have 17 other guys on the team that are going to be free agents. They just lost their defensive backs coach. They just lost their defensive coordinator. Rick, is this going to be something to build off of for the Titans? Or was this old man time just coming up and slamming the window shut on any championship aspirations that they had? Hey, real quick, where did that uh, defensive backs coach leave for? I believe he is the new defensive coordinator at the Ohio State University. Well, old is new. Mr. Combs is coming back through the Ohio State uh, taking on a little bit more responsibility there, and he's going to help out. And absolutely an energy that they need involved with that defense. Actually, Kerry Combs, great ties to Cincinnati. Uh, he led a public school here, Colerain High School, uh, you know, who public schools here just have so much, there's so much trouble competing with the private schools. And he built a program through a public system that would just go out there and wipe the floor with big names like St. Xavier, Moeller, LaSalle, uh, St. Ed's. I mean, true powerhouse is in the hotbed. That is Ohio. And so he's he's one hell of a coach, a, an absolute firecracker, a tremendous mind for the game, a great re-addition dish for the Buckeyes there. But to you know, the bigger issue, what we're talking about down in Tennessee, 
you, you see this happening. You get that one shot. You know, you build, you build, you build, and that's the way this league is structured right now. And you've got to seize that opportunity. The Titans came oh so close. Now this thing, I mean, they got to essentially blow it up and start over. And, and hopefully, you have enough in your general manager, in your in your scouting, your coaching, that you're going to be able to plug in some new parts here, go out there and find those pieces to that puzzle. Obviously, you want to maintain, resign those important key elements. But as you said, Jargo. Outside of those those two big ones that you listed, seventeen other on the table positions you got to fill. Yeah, it's d- certainly going to be a tough track down there in Tennessee. I will say though, looking at this, I, you got to look at the division as well. Where it's not bad. I mean, we're not talking NFC East, but the other teams are kind of on that same level. So it's not like somebody right now is really standing out as that obvious forefront. Know that everyone else is going to be chasing. This is a very even playing field inside of the South. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the interesting one is Derrick Henry. Um, Rick, we saw Ezekiel Elliott get big money this year. We saw Todd Gurley get big money a couple of years ago, and neither one of them have been the same player since they got paid. Derrick Henry had 386 carries this year. 386 carries this year. Is the market going to be reset here, or do you think somebody is going to pay Derrick Henry big money? You know, if you're the Titans and you you really got to break this down, I actually, absolutely, Henry is a tremendous talent, one of the best in the league, but what is the shelf life? Do you feel comfortable enough in your system that your hogs up front can create that opportunity for another running back? These are the questions they're going to need to ask themselves. Jarger, you throw out there, is this that make or break? We regularly have had this conversation. When is a team going to stand up to a player and say, you know, at this point, we know what the market details. We know what you're going to want here. But looking at the bigger picture, looking at the results that we've seen from those individuals paid, looking at the shelf life of disposition, we're going to go in another direction. And that's fine. The Titans can make that stand. But until we see a league-wide stance, what's really going to change? Because he's going to get that money somewhere. Well, I think what's going to change is going to be the collective bargaining agreement and the way that these contracts are formatted. As soon as that comes up for negotiation, these running backs in particular are going to be addressed inside of the CBA. I have to believe that. Absolutely, but we're still a couple years out from that. Yeah, yep. And I'm just terrified that this is going to be DeMarco Murray all over again. I mean, I I think that is what, it's like 23 or 25, right? before that next one's up? I think it's 23. Okay. I thought it was sooner or later, but I know it's we're still a couple seasons away from this. Yeah. Not too far, though. Which which is going to be all the more reason for these players and agents to be pushing for mm-hmm. that max pay. Because, yeah. you know, at some point here, you're going to see a complete restructuring. The way, you know, last time they went to the bargaining table, the league, the owners, they got over on this players association. You don't see that in a lot in professional sports. They just outsmarted them. They plain outsmarted them. Yeah, absolutely, because there was so much. I still remember the last time they came from those meetings, and you had you know the players' association, all the representatives up there pounding their chest, and you saw the the media, all these other platforms putting over other oh, players. I mean, this is going to be the greatest deal they've ever had. Well, as this thing played out over a couple of years, and we're starting to see these these contracts, and when they start to expire, and you got to renegotiate, and now we've got this this turnstile system inside the league. It became very clear you guys got taken back to the woodshed and just beaten. 
Well, yeah, because basically what happened is they did away with the big money rookie deals. And they said, okay, you know, now you got to be in the league for four or five years before you get that big money. And the owners were like, ha, ha, ha. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to run the freaking wheels off this thing in the first three, four years, and then we'll cut bait. I mean, it's magnificent the way that this thing has worked out. But, I mean, we have seen it over and over and over with these quarterbacks where they get a, a rookie quarterback, they pay him absolutely nothing, they surround him with a bunch of really, really good pieces, and then they have to pay the kid, and the whole freaking team falls apart. I'm looking at you, Jared Goff, and the Los Angeles Rams. And it's about to happen to Dak Prescott down in Dallas. And you look there with the Rams. I mean, you tie up all that money at the running back and quarterback position. Yep. Where you had you had great distribution before when you're making your run, and now look at this. I mean, you're out on the outside looking in. What the NFL owners did, essentially, they perfected the art of leasing the car instead of buying it. Yep, that's exactly what they did. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Green Bay. Green Bay lays an egg against San Francisco once again, 37-20. It was not that close. It was 27-0 at halftime. Aaron Rodgers just looked absolutely miserable out there that first half. Um Rick, we're going to talk about the Chiefs versus the 49ers here in just a minute. But as far as the Green Bay side goes, uh, we talk about Tennessee with their 17 free agents. Green Bay's got 20. Almost half of their freaking roster is going to be a free agent this season. It's going to look very, very different in Green Bay next year underneath of Matt LaFleur. But I guess the big question is, Aaron Rodgers is 36. Aaron Rodgers' stats have been on a progressive decline for the last three years. Is it time to draft the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers? I I thought long and hard about this thing, and, and I think there's more there's more you need that needs to be examined than simply the shelf life, what you still have left in Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of, of his generation, True professional, a tremendous talent. But yeah, he is getting up there in that age. And it's a lot of the pieces that have been around him. This franchise itself has kind of been seen a a little bit of mayhem over the last couple of years. And you've seen turnover from management to coaching. And Aaron Rodgers has really been the the consistent piece there. So with all this changing around, it's going to have its toll on you. And what they were able to do this year, I mean, it was a lot of smoke and mirrors. And you'd be sitting there firsthand. You know what this is. I mean, these guys had you a nervous wreck all season. Heart attack. Because they were just kind of playing over, playing over their head. They were smoking mirrors, but they would get the job done. Obviously, you get going to San Francisco, run into a tremendous team right there that that has put together something so special in this conversation. I want to make sure that we point out here general manager. John, John Lynch. Lynch, what an John Lynch, what an incredible performance by that by that gentleman. Yeah, it's crazy to me that when you look at that entire San Francisco defense and the number of insane players that they have out there, with the exception of Richard Sherman, that's all homegrown talent. I mean, they drafted that entire defensive front. All those guys are under 25 years old, first-round picks. You know, and Lynch had come in here with really no executive experience, Uh, just knowing what he knows from the game, taking this thing over. We came in in 17, correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so hey, a couple years to build this thing. Great job to him. Kudos to the Niners. A tremendous program. But back to Aaron Rodgers and the question at hand is, should they be looking towards the future? When you look at this draft right now, I don't know how you can't because 
obviously, you know, you got, you know, Burrow at the top there is, is the standout stud, but this thing is, is deep in quarterbacks. I mean, it's not that you have to really stretch to get one early, do your homework. You could find someone to really fill into that system that you can nurture, you can cultivate, that can sit back and learn what it takes to succeed in the NFL. It's not like you're going to need to toss him right in there. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. But I also just do not believe that Tim Boyle is going to be the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. I just nothing I have seen out of the kid gives me that impression. Right. And what I, and, you know, with how deep this class is with quarterbacks. You know, let's let's take that. Let's take that risk. Let's go, you know, middle of the draft or, you know, closer to the front on the back end of it, if you will. But go get somebody. And then maybe in a year or two, you, you, maybe it wasn't the right pick. It's not like you you have completely strapped the wagon and set that horse. Well, I mean, I think the big thing is you don't want to end up like the Patriots, right? I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that signals that Tom Brady is going to return to New England next year is then what? Like, if Tom Brady leaves, what in the hell do the New England Patriots have? I mean, like, it's not like you've got Jimmy Garoppolo just sitting there waiting, ready to go. It's not Brett Favre leaving Green Bay and you've had Aaron Rodgers sitting on the bench for three years, you know, just sitting around waiting to go. And let us remember when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, it's not like Green Bay was in there looking for a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers fell into their lap. That could absolutely be the kind of situation where, you know, they're sitting there and you see somebody like a Jake Fromm start dropping. You see somebody like a, a Herbert out of Oregon. Let's say that he just randomly drops. There's a big run on offensive linemen at the beginning of the draft. And, you know, so-and-so, they really want to take a quarterback, but it's a deep quarterback draft, so we'll get one in the second round. And they start taking offensive linemen. And suddenly, Herbert's sitting there when it's time for Green Bay to pick. You fucking take him. I mean, that's how they got Aaron Rodgers to begin with. Absolutely. I can remember going back to that draft day. I mean, like, it was just that sad puppy. Lost and looking for home. I mean, every time they could have cut to him, you could have had a Sarah McLaughlin song playing. Yep. And that's what you had with Aaron Rodgers, because pick after pick continued to fall in that draft. But look for, I mean, what what a great position. You know, you're going to have someone that is a Joe Burrow that is going to be out of this league a joke in five years if drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Or would you rather be somebody that is maybe ranked fourth or fifth, third, fourth, or fifth in your in your class? And you continue to fall, and you might have to sit a year or two, but you're going on a Green Bay. Right. You tell me who's the real winner. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of how things work out. Um, let's talk about Super Bowl 54 just a little bit. Of course, we'll do a full preview next week. Hell, that'll probably be the entire show next uh, week. Unless, uh, unless you actually get the Green Bay and then you're an asshole and you go out there and say you hate cheese. <laughs> or Walmart. It's like the only thing to do in Green Bay. You either go to Lambeau or you go to Walmart. They're right down the street from one another. I say that as a Packers fan, so I don't, don't at me, all right? Super Bowl 54, Chiefs versus 49ers. Huckleberry, this thing opened up Kansas City by one and a half. It's already down to Kansas City plus one. I almost expect this thing to be a pick em by the time we actually get to kickoff. The over-under is 54 and a half points. I mean, everything on paper says this is going to be the the high-powered Kansas City offense versus that San Francisco defense, and can Bosa and company get pressure on Patrick Mahomes? 
54 and a half for the over under watch this thing end up being like a 13 to six game defenses show up it'll be a, remember last year everybody just having a fit because of the patriots dominating defensively score 13 points and win the fucking game it's such a low-scoring game. Everybody just dubbing it the, the worst Super Bowl ever. This is the end of the NFL and professional football. No, people, that's how you play football. That's how you win championships. Control the clock. Control the ground. Yeah, anybody want to tell me how much fun it was to watch San Francisco last week? Garoppolo goes 6 of 8 for less than 100 yards. They ran the ball 48 fucking times against Green Bay. Green Bay couldn't stop the run, so San Francisco just kept on running it. That's how you win football games. They're not out there for style points. As a wide receiver, though, in those games playing them, oh, I hated them. Oh, they're so goddamn boring. I hated them. I, we were playing, uh, who was it? It was Northwest. And me in the corner, we had known each other from track as well, so we were kind of, you know, we were friendly with one another and it got to the point. We're just looking at each other. Like I go up there like, dude, they're running the ball. I'm just going to kind of block you off to the side. <laughs> That's See, where I got you. I was, I was a defensive guy. Right. And I hated watching our offense because our offense, we had this one kid. He, he came in literally from Africa. His name was Jabulani Antonio Ayingbili. And our entire offense was hike. Turn around, hand the ball to Jabba, and watch him run. Was he from Nigeria? No, I, th- I want to say he was like from Kenya. <sighs> Can't have a Kenyan nightmare. I was, I was just hoping you had your own Nigerian nightmare. I mean, it, it, it was just insane watching him run the football. And then it was the same thing with his little brother, Tux, when he became a, a varsity player. But I mean, even as a defensive player standing on the sideline, I'm like, I just hate watching our offense. This is so fucking boring. And it's like... Everybody in the freaking stadium knew they're going to hike the ball. They're going to turn around. They're going to hand the ball to Jabba. And then we're going to watch Jabba run. That was the entire offense. That's It's the same offense that Kyle Shanahan was running for San Francisco last week. Yeah, That's what you're running. If they can't stop it, keep running it. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of people complaining about it. But, you know, we're getting down to this game. Being a Cincinnati Bengals fan, there's nothing in me that's going to allow me to root for the San Francisco 49ers in a Super Bowl. They stole two from us. I don't want them to have any more success than rotten bastards. But but I am a little torn because I, I love Joe Montana. How about how about Joe? Joe Cool hitting the, the Twitter machine this week came out and guaranteed that one of his teams, that his team said his he guarantees his team will win the Super Bowl. Ridiculous. Uh, my my favorite thing that I have heard this week, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes played baseball. When he was in college, he was actually drafted by the Detroit Tigers, which means that the Detroit Tigers have drafted more Super Bowl starting quarterbacks than the Detroit Lions. I, I saw that. Was it was that Tommy Wonder? I, I don't remember who's who posted it, but that was just fantastic. That that one did pop me as well. Great stuff. So, so you're talking about uh, your your hold on your Nigerian nightmare there. You know, you, you brought him over. He's running all over your you cornfed Iowans there. You just feed him the ball. Uh, it wasn't in football. This reminds me of a story. It just pops me every time I think about it. Uh, Ernie Ziegler. Where I went to high school, it was, you know, probably. Uh, Dolph? Uh, I, I don't believe so. There's there's no resemblance. Uh, but he was, yeah, in a, a town that is 99.99% Caucasian. Uh, in the school, we had two African-Americans. It was Ernie and his brother, and I, I don't happen to know his brother's name, but Ernie was involved. He ran, I ran track with him, but he was a spectacular long-distance runner. 
Uh, he won state championships on track, like in the two mile. And then he was a multi-time cross country state champion. And I remember his senior year uh, at our award banquet, they're honoring him and all the great honors that he achieved and all that. And someone asked him, he said, Ernie, like, how did you achieve this? I mean, he's a little guy, a little frame. How did you achieve this? Be able to, to run so fast for great distances. And he said, well, you're the only black kid growing up in Harrison, Ohio. You learn to run fast for a really long time for really long distances. Absolutely fantastic. Um, not not an official prediction, but are you leaning one way or the other on Kansas City, San Francisco at this point? As I said, my heart is in Kansas City. I'd like to see those guys get it done, especially Andy Reid. Uh, always been a big fan of Coach Reed's there, but man, I think when you detail the tape here, San Francisco's got something special going on here. Lynch has put together an incredible, an incredible team. I just got to give them the edge. I'm leaning San Francisco, but it's going to be close. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hitting the marks.com, Hameen Media Online, Hacker Hameen. Dot podbean.com visit our sponsors at get underscore acre on twitter get backslash horseman for your chance to win a free gold bar rbb and i will be back a little bit later on this weekend i don't know if we're actually going to do a preview for the uh, rumble and worlds collide huckleberry do you want to do a, a a preview or do you just want to do a simulcast monday in the locker room for hacker hameen and the hdm podcast network I don't know. Let's let's we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll keep people on the edge of their seats. Stay tuned. All right. all right, that works. Until then, you can find me across all social media platforms at Not Jargo RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the closet repairmen find you? I was gonna say. Well, hopefully, you can find me being able to get my fat, broken ass up off of this laundry room floor where I'm recording from. Uh, but even if not, as long as the battery holds out here, I will be on social media to keep up with me across all platforms at The Real RVV. Absolutely fantastic. We'll talk to you on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast and or Monday Inside the Locker Room for your Royal Rumble review. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya.